Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to focus on a wide range of issues from job creation to assisting small businesses to assaults on democracy. My guest is an expert on all of these topics. Previously, Dr. Tom Tuttle was director of the University of Maryland Center for Quality and Productivity in College Park, Maryland. Upon retirement, he formed the Tuttle Group International to continue his work in providing strategic management consulting, facilitation, and training to leaders of organizations. Dr. Tom Tuttle, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks very much. I appreciate you being with me. Tom, let's, uh, first off, let's plug a couple of really interesting books that you wrote. Uh, one is, the, is entitled, or titled, Growing Jobs, Rethinking the Way We Approach Economic Development. What, what was the thrust of that book? Well, I spent 26 years uh, at the University of Maryland focusing on business retention. We, our center was created jointly by the State Department of Economic Development and the university to try to help keep jobs in Maryland and grow jobs. So I was concerned that uh, the economic development community was focused more on the marketing of the state to try to attract businesses to move to the state with pretty extravagant uh, resources and incentives. And I felt they were neglecting to put as much emphasis on business retention. And so I've tried in the book to help people reverse the priorities of those three strategies to make business retention number one. That is so important. And I think every state, at least when I was working in Kentucky in the state legislature, every state was focusing on this to some degree. They realized how important it is. But do you, do you think that uh, all governments, really at all levels, national, state, and local, have a responsibility to provide, at least try to provide assistance to set up the, the infrastructure for small businesses to succeed? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we sort of looked at that at the University of Maryland in two perspectives. We, we work very closely with our engineering school who provided technology assistance, and we were focusing on strategy and, and management assistance. And uh, the two together make a fairly comprehensive package, not to uh, uh, take over the company, but to provide assistance that particularly small companies have difficulty uh, uh, achieving and, and doing for themselves. I mean, one example was ISO 9000. For a small company to sell to a larger company, they need to have their quality management system registered and approved. So we provided uh, consulting that helped them develop that system at a very competitive price. That's 
help to help them be able to sell you know their products and and therefore grow jobs uh-huh. now this iso 9000 that's international international, international standard, standard organization right yeah right, right. And you have international standards that would apply in every country if you were to sell products. Is that correct? Yes. It, uh, you, in other words, it's a way of it's part of the quality movement and a way of assuring that uh, a, a company that contracts with a small company can be assured that that quality system of the small company will deliver the products that they need. Uh-huh. Now, another book that you co-authored was the planning and measurement measurement in your organization of the future. What, what was the main point of that? Well, the main point of that was it was uh, written uh, at a period of time where productivity growth in the U.S. had gone from about 3% per year down to less than 1% per year. And so we had, I think, a productivity crisis and the Japanese were also taking over, uh, you know, auto electronics. So we had, there was a major uh, response by US industry and our center was involved in helping uh, that through productivity measurement, productivity improvement and quality improvement strategies like ISO 9000. And uh, the book was an attempt to talk about or present some of the successful models and uh, methodologies that had allowed that uh, productivity and quality improvement uh, really revolution to happen. <clears throat> we, we were talking about the providing infrastructure and a lot of people would, I think most people would say, well, infrastructure good, that roads, schools, cultural activities, Oh, a variety of resources like that uh, for small businesses. But some other folks would argue too, adding to that, that democracy can be very important for small businesses and for large businesses too. And you just recently wrote a paper on democracy is endangered. What was the purpose of that paper? Well, I think uh, anybody who reads a newspaper or, uh, you know, here's an example from the Economist magazine that talks about democracy is a real risk to America's democracy. And uh, it really is, uh, we're at a crisis. There's no other way to think about it. I think our president is talking about it, but maybe not urgently enough. And uh, so um, the purpose of this paper was to argue that uh, Part of the issue that we're facing in saving democracy is dealing with the threat from you know, uh, our past administration, who I think has mounted a, a systems approach to destroy democracy, tr- attacking the major institutions of our country, uh, you know, the judicial system, the uh, uh, education system, and, uh, and also, uh, the uh, you know other major fundamental system, the voting system, primarily is, is another one, and and what this article in the Economist talks about is the not only restricting people's ability to vote, but also taking over the mechanics of the voting process, uh, and even changing the result of the vote after the fact. 
So that is a serious crisis. And um, so this book is arguing that communities are, you know, the bottoms up approach to address that crisis. Now, you mentioned in your paper that the future of democracy will depend both on the success of national leadership and on whether this national leadership can create a climate that supports and enables local leaders to develop and execute policies and programs and meet the needs of divided communities. Is that, I'm assuming you're gonna say that's not being met at this point. And if it's not, what can be done to meet that need? Right, you mean the, the role of the, of the federal government? Uh, the national right. Uh, this process, yeah. Uh, a metaphor that I found helpful to think about that is uh, a, a country singer, Brandy Carlisle, has a song called The Eye. And one of the lines of that song is, you can dance in a hurricane, but only if you're in the eye. And the eye is basically the calm period, you know, in the center. And, uh, but unfortunately, that <laughs> the eye moves. And so you can't be static and be in the eyes. You have to move to stay in the eye. So I think that the role of, um, of, of federal government with respect to communities is to build this infrastructure. I think, and it's, and I think our president is trying to do that to both the, the, the physical infrastructure and the human infrastructure that creates the dynamic stability that allows uh, communities to then do what they need to do to improve. And I talk in the article about what I think communities need to do as well, but, but they have to be enabled and empowered with resources and uh, some policies from the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so really we're talking about uh, developing an ecosystem, I guess, or a transformational situation where people at the local level look at what's happening as far as these assaults on our democracy and really assault on the media too. You come right down right. to Absolutely. the media and decide that they really have to be involved in trying to develop some counter policies to dealing with this. Does that sound right? Or is that the way to go on well, it? There's, there's no doubt about it. I think that, you know, I would argue that uh, the media and information systems of a community are one of the elements of the system's approach to, uh, you know, to attacking or going on offense against this threat to democracy. And I think, you know, there, you need to focus on education system, the economic system, you need to focus on uh, uh, the, all of the systems of a community, but certainly directly attacking the threats to uh, truth, basically and trust building, which I think are, as we've seen, are, are coming at communities from all sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course we've heard from folks, well, back during the Trump administration where people like Kellyanne Conway was talking about alternative facts. There really aren't alternative facts. You have facts that are factual or you have misinformation or lies, you, there's nothing. Right. There's not much in between. Now you can disagree on policies. I'm not arguing that. But the point is that if you have facts, if you have a video of a president saying that the COVID-19 is not a problem, it's a hoax, it'll be okay, everybody will be back in church by Easter. And the day before that, he told a journalist, Bob Woodward, 
that the COVID will kill you. It's an airborne disease. It's dangerous. Those are facts. And those are facts that contradict each other. Uh, the, is, there, is there any middle ground between those two statements? <clears throat> no. And I think that, that the strategy that communities have to adopt is one of, of building a factual basis for that community and sharing that. And, you know, this is an example we talk about in the paper of the uh, uh, measurement system developed by a community in Alberta. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I know just from personal uh, issues, I have family members that I can't talk to about facts. We, you know, if I tell them I read something that I believe is a fact from the New York Times, uh, they tell me they don't accept that. And so it's uh, impossible to build collaboration in a community if we cannot agree on facts. So I think we need systems that do assessments of the communities to build a factual base that everybody accepts and then move forward from that. You mentioned Alberta, Canada. There, that's, I saw in your paper, the Alberta Genuine Progress Indicator. What exactly is that? It's basically a family of measures approach that this province has developed to better measure uh, whether their policies are creating a better quality of life for people. You know, the economists tend to talk about that as a gross domestic product. Uh, Bobby Kennedy, many years ago, uh, sort of <laughs> made the point that gross domestic product measures everything except what makes life worthwhile. And so I think to their credit, the, the Alberta folks have tried to measure some of these softer things that get at what they, you know, what makes life worthwhile in addition to the economic kinds of facts. I think, I think it's very true. I think we're changing. Many of the economists are saying, rather than just look at the gross domestic product, which develops that or indicates that, that we need to look at the overall society and look at things like a happiness index to look at what are the costs of using fossil fuels. Uh, they say, well, we create so many jobs, it produces so much money, but what is it doing to the environment? How is it destroying the environment? How is it giving people respiratory lung problems? What could be done better through the use of wind, solar, different types of efficient energy like that? So it seems like there's a change taking place, albeit slowly, with right. economists and uh, public policymakers to say there's more to it than just looking at how much money is produced. It's really going on. I'm sorry. Do you see that happening? Absolutely. And it's not only going on, uh, you know, in the public sector, I think it's going on in the private sector as well. Businesses, I think, are coming to the idea that we need to move from just stockholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism, where uh, they must be concerned with, you know, impact on, uh, on customers, on employees, on the communities, on the environment. And that is becoming a major driver for the private sector. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. 
Also, if you're involved with the PBS or community access television station, or perhaps you're involved with an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a podcast or a computer and you like our shows and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a wide range of issues from economic development to providing infrastructure to help small businesses and large businesses and attacks on our democracy. And of course, democracy is a key component to the success of any business in, in the United States in particular and many countries worldwide. My guest is an expert on this topic. Dr. Tom Tuttle was director of the University of Maryland Center for Quality and Productivity in College Park, Maryland. Upon retirement, he formed the Tuttle Group International to continue his work in providing strategic management consulting, facilitation and training to leaders of organizations. Dr. Tom Tuttle, this is an extremely important topic and it's one that we really have to look at. We can see the assault, we've seen the assault on democracy in the United States for the last really five years, you come right down to it, but it's also going on worldwide. We have a situation where you've got Urban in Hungary, you've got Duterte in the Philippines, you've got uh, just on across the board the Russians, but you've got uh, a variety of folks who are really working diligently to suppress democratic institutions and to stifle the free media. This is... Just uh, what do you think is creating this? Why, why are neo-Nazis making a resurgence in Germany? Why are neo-Nazis making a resurgence in the United States? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I have the total answer to that, but it's a, I think it's a complicated uh, answer. But I think part of the answer is um, something that Tom Friedman has written about, uh, which he calls the age of accelerations with uh, you know, talking about climate change, globalization, and technology development. And there are quite a few people in our society who have not benefited from that, and in fact, are quite threatened by that. They have not, you know, they haven't been prepared to benefit and participate in these changes that are going on. So I think one part of the answer is there are people that just are disaffected and that society has not paid enough attention to. Um, E.J. Dion had an article today in the, in the Washington Post saying that to move forward, um, what we have to do are find ways to give people jobs that are well-paying and stable, and we also have to give them dignity. And one of the things that's been lost, I think, uh, through the changes going on in society is people's sense of dignity. And uh, that has made them more susceptible to look for people like Trump or Erdogan or whoever to be the savior to help them. Mm -hmm. On January 6, 2021, we saw really a, well, what was not unexpected. This was an invitation of, of a group of, of uh, disgruntled people, shall we say, or uh, people who follow Donald Trump to come to Washington. They were invited and they were incited by the then president of the United States. And they were goaded into taking violent action, which they did against the Capitol and our democratic institutions. Fortunately, 
around the country in, in Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, and a few other places, the, uh, the Democratic or the uh, Republican secretaries of state held their ground and said that their elections were fair and free and that there was really no, I mean, a few irregularities and that type of thing, but there was no major voter violations or uh, uh, whatever voter fraud. But a large number of the people who came to the Capitol believed otherwise. Just how dangerous is this whole phenomenon that developed on January 6th and still with us? It's not going away. And in some cases, it's actually getting worse when you look at some of the right wing propaganda put out by the QAnon people who are just it's amazing how many pieces of misinformation, disinformation they can create in one day. And then you have media outlets like Fox, Newsmax, One American News Network, pumping out a lot of this misinformation, disinformation and lies. How how dangerous is this and how destabilizing and debilitating is it for our democracy? And when we say democracy, we're talking about all of us who live in the United States and our businesses, too. This I mean, this just doesn't deal with individuals. I mean, this transfers over into businesses. But how how dangerous is this? It's extremely dangerous. And uh, I, I encountered this uh, even three or four, maybe five years ago uh, with one of the case studies that I wrote about in my Growing Jobs book, uh, Dubuque, Iowa, where in that community, uh, a, uh, a blogger had set himself up in Dubuque to pump out false news and to challenge the really visionary leadership of, of the town uh, who I, I felt were absolutely role models for how you know, to uh, lead a community. In fact, the mayor has been reelected three times, so the people must think he's doing a good job. But uh, the, uh, so I, it's not only stuff that we see at the national level. I believe there's a very systematic approach going on to do this at the local level. And, uh, you know, as we see with these bills that are being passed by Republican-led states, um, it's, it's an extremely serious problem. And I, and I think as the economist said, as I think I mentioned earlier, it's not just about keeping people away from the voting booth. It's taking over the mechanics of the voting system and reversing the decision of the citizens in some you way know, of the power to do that if uh, we haven't seen that yet, I hope, but it's quite serious. And a lot of the political scientists will argue that we need two strong parties in this country. We need a Democratic Party. We need a Republican Party, maybe another party. If you want to have a third party, that's up to the folks who do that stuff. I'm not sure. But the point is, today, so many of the political scientists and the historians are saying there's only one responsible party. And I'm not saying this in a partisan sense. This is a fact that the majority of the members of the Republican Party, including leaders who have bought into Donald Trump's cult, are now spewing misinformation, disinformation, and are working to undermine the Democratic institutions. How important is it that we have two strong parties? And the Republican Party, not too many years ago, was a very viable, strong party that stood on principle and policy. <clears throat> or many policies, but today it's you can find a few Republicans, but very few to do that. Uh, I 
you know, couldn't agree more. And in fact, our productivity center was created uh, in 1978 as a result of some work by a Republican senator that we had in Maryland. And uh, the this is uh, it's 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 critical, and we need to see it as a crisis. Uh, it's it's a crisis like the farm crisis or the uh, you know the productivity crisis. It, it's bigger than either of those because it's fundamentally attacking the country that you know the systems that make our country what we think it should be. Uh-huh. Well, this is, it is a major problem and it's one that we need to work on together because we all have to live together in this country and people around the world have to live in their countries and to have the squabbling and especially the misinformation, disinformation and lies is totally counterproductive and it's going to start taking its toll. We can see it uh, in a variety of ways with the stock markets and what have you that are going to be adversely affected. You're going to have businesses that can't operate properly. They're going to have to close whatever or shut down or whatever the case might be. But it, it is a, a very dangerous session. But Dr. Tom Tuttle, I want to thank you so much to, for being with me today and for sharing your information. And I want to thank you for a very interesting and a very informative program. Well, thank you, Bill. And thanks for what you're doing to educate people as to what they need to be doing to uh, respond to these crises. My pleasure. Thank you. 